Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, October 6th, and this is, of course, the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. i got Matt Norlander with me, and uh, we're only about a month away from the start of the season now, and we now know Duke's Harry Giles is not going to be in uniform when it begins, or at least uh, we know he won't be playing when it begins. That's the big news from this week, a third knee surgery uh, since 2013. He's torn both ACLs. He had been rehabbing that one since last November, uh, the latest ACL injury and now had to have arthroscopic surgery that's going to keep him sidelined an additional uh, six weeks at least. Uh, Norlanda, you spent some time with Harry Giles over the years. How big of a setback uh, is this for the player who uh, some projected to be the top pick uh, in the 2017 NBA draft? I think this is notable. Now, listen, it is a knee scope. It's not major surgery. It's, It's basically outpatient surgery. This is the kind of thing that uh, athletes on the regular get uh, at the pro level. But the fact of the matter is uh, Harry Giles has needed surgical procedures on his knees three times over the course of basically two and a half years. He is a big man. And to me, listen, I actually love his game. I, he was my favorite prospect in his class. And I wrote a huge feature on him last year prior to his second major knee injury. And at that point, after I wrote the feature and had watched him, to me, he was unequivocally the top player in the class, the guy who I would take number one. Now, because of all of this, I would say it's borderline irresponsible for any GM to say that he would take Giles number one simply because he's a big man. We look at what's happening now. I know it's different injuries, but Joel Embiid is only finally getting on the floor for the Sixers. Obviously, we look at uh, Greg Oden, who had such a terrific one-and-done year with Ohio State. His career completely collapsed because of injuries over the years. There are so many examples over the over the decades of big men, and the fact is there's, there's something to it where if you've got a body that's 6'10 or taller, essentially, um, and you suffer a major injury – just it's not on a case by case basis. It seems like you're more prone to having injuries crop up, pop up and affect you over the course of your career. Not every single player has had this, obviously. But when you're dealing with feet, knees and backs of big men, you've got to be precautious. And that's why I think Giles, no matter what he does, let's say he comes back on the floor for Duke by the week of Thanksgiving and he averages, you know, 23 minutes over the course of the season looks really, really good. Maybe even averages a double, double despite, you know, relatively limited in minutes. I still don't think that he will wind up getting taken first overall because no matter what happens this season, Parrish, there's going to be a combine, a workout. NBA doctors are going to want to know what his situation is with his knee. So no matter what happens, and Duke is obviously one of the top medical schools in the country, all of this, it doesn't matter. NBA team doctors are going to want to look at him, evaluate him. And if you're a general manager, chances are there's going to be five to seven really fantastic candidates for the top pick because it's such a fantastic freshman class overall this season that you're going to be better off playing it safe if you've got the top pick and not taking Giles. So from a draft and future perspective, even though the surgery was minor, I just don't see how this doesn't have big picture implications in terms of where he will wind up making money and end up in the NBA. It's um, I, I talked to five different NBA scouts on Monday night, uh, you know, a few hours after Giles had had this third surgery since 2013. Two of them told me, 
we'll just wait and see how he plays and see what the doctors say. Uh, while both acknowledging, like, uh, who knows if he's even going to be the same kind of athlete, uh, same kind of player. Like, he, he might have lost something here. And if he has, then it's all a moot point anyway. But if he performs well and looks the part, then we'll just rely on the doctors. And if the doctors uh, say everything's fine, then then we will, you know, we would proceed, uh, you know, as if everything's fine. Uh, if they tell us it's not, then we won't. Uh, but three of the five scouts that I talked to, just said absolutely not. Uh, no, not, not anymore. Can't take him number one. Like there's too many other. And you sort of touched on this. I don't know if it's actually five to seven, but there's going to be uh, two other obvious options for the number one overall pick in this draft. Uh, Jason Tatum, his teammate at Duke, is one. Markel Fultz at Washington would be another. And you just don't pass on an elite prospect with no medical red flags to take an elite prospect with medical red flags. Because if it goes badly on you, then, I mean, you just, you look so foolish. I mean, you just, you know, people look back at it and go, what, what, what were you doing? Like, it, it's one thing to draft somebody and then watch them get hurt. It's another thing to draft somebody who's had three nerds, knee surgeries, watch them struggle again, and and then you have to try to explain that one away? Like, so, so I'll be shocked at this point if he's the number one pick. At, at some point, same case, uh, same way it was with Joel Embiid a few years ago, there will be a franchise picking, and it might be third, it might be fifth, it might be seventh, where they just say, hey, uh, his upside is too much now. If our doctors say it's cool, uh, we're willing to gamble uh, rather than take somebody we think is an obviously inferior prospect, like wherever that is. But I don't think it'll be number one anymore. Uh, you, you know, if you can t- I had one scout tell me this exactly. Uh, if you can take Fultz, if you can take Tatum, you... you you don't take the guy with three knee surgeries since 2013. You take the healthy elite prospect, and uh, and 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 feel good about that. So, um, it, you know, it's just uh, it, you know these things are always awful, but it's especially awful when we're not just talking about a young guy's college career, but we're talking about you know millions of dollars, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars that that is that is somewhat on the line here. And so you just hope the kid gets healthy and and is able to, to get on the court at some point soon. Do you think he will look up in February and Harry Giles will be performing like a first-team All-ACC guy? Do you think he's going to be a great college player? Man, I want to say that. Real quick, by the way, I am I know you don't think 5-7, to seven, but I'm saying Dennis Smith, Josh Jackson, I could see Bam Adebayo or De'Aaron Fox, all of those guys, I think, have potential to play their way into the number one overall spot. We'll see. I think Fultz is now the leading candidate. Smith, by the way, suffered a major knee injury as well. But by all accounts, he was only one, and that was a year ago, and he is on his, on his way back. Giles, all-ACC-level player. I actually can see it. The thing is, like, so Giles had a major knee injury uh, a few years back, came back, uh, played on the AAU circuit, looked really strong, um, and just a fantastic prospect. I have not seen him play since he had – a second major knee injury, which basically occurred like a year ago at this point. And now we have this scope here. I'm super hesitant now to say all ACC level means he's a top five player in production and impact. You've got Grayson on that team. Tatum, I think his role will increase even more. Although I don't, I'll be interested to see what Tatum does because he's got such a smooth, good game. I'd love to see a little more aggressiveness in Tatum's game. I think there's a possibility of that. But now... No, but I still – it's one of those things where almost like on a level of uh, – remember what Towns did with Kentucky? Now, he was a first-level SEC player, but 
Towns, you know, Calipari famously touted with that team and, and what Towns had done. Uh, his impact was necessarily his production on a game-by-game basis. Like, when you watch what Towns did, despite the fact that he was sharing minutes or wasn't, you know, he didn't have a huge usage percentage and all that, he was still tremendously impactful to the point where he went number one in the draft. I think Giles could certainly have moments here where he would have, in a given game or two or three or seven, he would be the best player on the floor and be the most important player for Duke. I just, I would put him as a firm third at best player of importance with where we stand now. One other thing, GP, that we can touch on real quick here. Um, I know Rob Doster mentioned it on Twitter. Uh, over at, he's a writer with College Basketball Talk with NBC, and some other people picked up on it as well, saying, all right, this is the third surgical procedure Giles has had on his knees. There's really a case for him to be made uh, to be made for him not to play at all at Duke this season. Why even put yourself out there? You see what happened with Scal last year at Kentucky. My take on that is I don't see Giles – having that kind of personality to be honest i don't think he would want that whatsoever i think he would want to get on the floor and he would want to compete and want to play i do think duke will do its best to put giles in the best possible light and situation so i do think his minutes i think will be on a quote-unquote pitch count this season but i don't see a scenario unless he suffers another injury within you know the first few weeks of coming back uh, barring that, I don't see a scenario where Giles sits out this year. I just I cannot see that happening. There, there's no indication that he plans to do that, but I, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Uh, you know, ultimately, um, he would be at no risk of of hurting his of further damaging his so-called stock if he were to just you know uh, stay on the sidelines until it, you know became time to work out for NBA teams. But um, you know, really, I. I, I I think he's got a built-in excuse if he struggles in college basketball, where Scow really didn't. You know, the, what happened with Scow and, uh, you know, previous, you know, prior to that, Cliff Alexander, uh, Josh Selby, is that they were elite-level prospects who got into college and then didn't, didn't look like elite prospects, like they couldn't play. And that's how they damaged their stock. They didn't have an excuse for not being able to play. Uh, Giles is going to have an excuse, and may- maybe I don't. Uh, maybe shouldn't call it an excuse. And, uh, there's going to be a, an, an obvious explanation. You know, by the time he starts playing again, it will be more than a year since he last played. He'll be coming off of, you know, uh, uh, two knee surgeries since the last time he played. And so, if he struggles to find rhythm or be dominant or be explosive, you can sort of chalk it up to that. So, um, I-, I don't know that he needs to be as um, in, in theory, I'm I'm on board with the idea of, hey, if you're already thought of as a top five draft pick, you might not benefit that much from going to college, like I I or, or playing in college and possibly exposing yourself. I I I understand the logic behind that, and I I sort of subscribe to it. Uh, not that I would advise anybody to do it, but I would understand if they did. With this one, I I, I think people are going to understand. If if he's great, then that's great, and if he's not, then we know why he wasn't. And ultimately, it'll just come down. Uh, as it pertains to NBA draft talk, stock, how the workouts go, and what the team doctors say. I mean, the the, the biggest thing Harry Giles is going to have to have on his side to to still be a top five pick, top ten pick, is is you know the doctors of the franchises picking in the lottery, it, because there are examples in years past where team doctors have just said you can't touch him. What do you mean can't touch him with the first pick? I mean can't put, touch him with the tenth. Can't touch him at all. It's a bad investment. And so, um, you know, fingers crossed, all of that will check out. But it, it, it should be noted, like, 
uh, ACL injuries aren't career enders. You know, once upon a time they were considered, you know, uh, really damaging to your career. And in some cases they can be, but uh, there are countless examples of guys in, in basically every sport who have had ACL injuries and, uh, and returned to tip, tip-top form. So I, I hope that's the case for Giles. Let me ask you this. Uh, would you still have Duke number one in the preseason rankings? I would, and I agree with us still having him number one. I would also say that with Giles likely getting dialed back here, if it makes you want to rethink your title pick, I think that's fair. I think you could still have Duke number one heading into the season, but if you don't necessarily, I think we might be on different pages with this because I know you like to pick. The, usually, you like to have the number one preseason team be right. the team you think will win it all because right. that's ultimately what you're doing. I look at more preseason as here's the state of college basketball as we enter November, and right now I still think Duke is the best team. Like I already know that I'm not going to pick Duke to win the title this year, um, even though they're still plenty loaded and they're going to be very fun. But I, so that's why I would still have them one, but wouldn't necessarily pick them to win it all. Who would you pick to win the title? I don't want to give that up, man. Oh wow, top I'm, secret I'm, Norlander I'm, projections. It's called a tease. We're going to let people linger around here, and we're going to talk about that whenever our projections go up. I am keen on a couple of teams, but it will not be Duke, and it will not be Kentucky. I know that. Part of it's also because I hate picking top two teams in the preseason. I like to have a little fun, but. Um, yeah, I will not go with either one of those two. I'm not totally convinced on what team I'm going to pick, but I definitely am. think I'm leaning one way or another. But with, maybe next week we talk about it or the week after. At the oh, week. wow. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. I know. <laughs> so I worked on a story uh, over the past week about a kid at Oakland named Isaiah Brock. And I say kid, I shouldn't. He's a 22-year-old man, uh, a veteran of the military. He was in the Army. And... Um, if you've read the story, then you already know the story. But if you haven't read the story, I'll, I'll give you a synop- synopsis now. Uh, you know, went to a substandard school in Baltimore. I looked up in U.S. News and World Report high school rankings. They actually have these things. And um, only 70% of students at that high school actually graduate. And only 6% reach the standard of college readiness. In other words, even if you are a good student at this high school, and by all accounts, he was like he, you know, graduated top 15 percentile. You're not going to be ready for for college, and thus not going to be, uh, you know, able to meet uh, freshman eligibility requirements as set by the NCAA. Um, so Isaiah Brock didn't. But here's the thing: he had no interest in doing that. He graduated high school in 2011. He was never planning to be a student athlete. He was going to join the army, just like other members of his family had joined the army. You know, uh, I I don't know if he lived in the roughest parts of Baltimore, but there are rough parts of Baltimore, and he was familiar with them. And he said that was the way out for him. You know, he needed to get out of Baltimore. He wanted to get out of Baltimore. There was nothing there but drugs and guns and death and bad things, and he decided he he was going to join the Army. That was his plan, and and that's what he did. So he joins the Army, and, you know, he goes through all of the training and ends up in Afghanistan, Kandahar. And his job was to go onto the battlefield and extract bodies of fallen soldiers. In other words, uh, when someone is injured in war, uh, the medics go and, and, and treat them and, and try to extract them, get them back to the base and treat them. Uh, when somebody dies, Isaiah Brock's job was to go get that body. And documents show that he's uh, been credited with extracting more than 30 bodies 
uh, from the battlefields in Afghanistan, like a, a hero by anybody's definition. And uh, so he's serving his country, our country, the way so many do. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, extracting bodies and 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 in a way that allows the families here back home to have a proper service and a proper burial for their for their loved ones who died in war. And that you know, that that's how he spent the past four years of his life. Meantime, he grew eight inches. He was six feet tall when he graduated high school. He's now six foot eight. And I, I know you've you've heard about this in years past where college basketball coaches like go over to, you know, uh, anywhere in the Middle East. Really it could be uh Kuwait, it could be Afghanistan, it could be uh, Iraq, you know, wherever. And, you know, they hold basketball camps for, for soldiers, men and women. You know, they put them into teams and they, you know, coach them and they practice and they play a tournament. And there's a dunk contest, a three-point contest. And it's about a week of spending time with the soldiers. And uh, it's basically the, the soldiers are excused from their duties for a week. And it's just a, a fun thing and way to get their mind of off of uh, the, in many cases, horrific things they're dealing with on a daily basis. So Greg Campy, the Oakland University coach, um, was a part of this last August. And he sees this, you know, when you're, when you're coaching a basketball team of, of uh, you know, military people and there's one guy out there who's six foot eight and he's, you know, jumping around, blocking shots, dunking the ball. Like, he, he sort of stands out. So Greg just sort of introduces himself to him and, and Isaiah tells him the story. You know, yeah, you know, I was, I'm from Baltimore, decided to join the Army. Um, you know, my, my job is to extract bodies from the battlefield. And he was just blown away. Uh, and he said, listen, um, I, I, if you ever are interested in, in trying to play college basketball, I want you to call me and get in touch with me. Let's keep in touch. Because, um, A, he said, I thought it would be a way to give back. Like, wow, this young guy has, you know, risked his life for our country. Maybe I can make one of his dreams come true. But, but B, um, he just would really like to have him around his players. Didn't know if he'd ever be able to play at the level you have to be able to play to be a, a real contributor at Oakland. And still doesn't know that, frankly. Um, but, man, what, what's the value of having somebody like that in your locker room? Uh, of having somebody like that on your campus? Of having somebody like that be a leader for your 18-year-olds, some of whom are going to be coming from the same environments that Isaiah Brock uh, was immersed in when he was 18 years old. So he gets discharged from the Army in April. He enrolls at Oakland in June, I think. While he was still serving, he took two online college classes, made a B in both, got to Oakland, enrolled in summer school, took two classes, made an A in one and a B in the other. And all this time they'd been just preparing the paperwork uh, because they knew that he was technically a non-qualifier based on standardized test score and based on GPA from a high school transcript from five years ago. And so they made the case through all the paperwork, told the story to the NCAA. The NCAA is very aware of the story and just sort of thought, well, this should be easy. I mean, this is a decorated war hero um, who can clearly do college level work and and no sensible person would hold against him transcripts from five years ago, uh, even if you're technically supposed to go by the transcript. This is a transcript from five years ago. You look at this, they have the ability to apply a waiver in, in, in any way that they want, the NCAA does. So this should be a pretty, you know, a clear-cut example of where, why would we want to put a hurdle in this person's uh, way? Uh, particularly when they've 
already taken what amounts to a full semester of college courses and and uh, got a 3.0 GPA. And yet when they heard back from the NCAA, the NCAA said, we will grant a waiver for him to be on scholarship. We will grant a waiver for him to practice, but we're not going to grant him a waiver to play. And I know when I posted this story yesterday, some people uh, were of the opinion, well, this is just how the system works. They rule him ineligible based off of his GPA, based off of the numbers. And then you appeal, and then they'll, they'll grant the appeal. But that's not what happened here. Uh, the, the people who, you know, they said, oh, this is just the, this is how the system works. Well, no, it's not. Um, the people who, who wrote that and said that, like, they didn't take the time to actually do the reporting on it. Uh, because what happened here is, is the NCAA did consider his case. They considered the circumstances of his story and actually did grant him waivers. They just stopped short of granting him a waiver to play. They granted him a waiver to be on scholarship. They granted him a waiver to practice with the team. But they stopped short of granting him the waiver to play, and I can't for the life of me figure out why. Now, they are going to appeal, and I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it could be more obvious. The timing of my story was was meant to put pressure on them to, to, to grant the waiver in appeal. But why deny it in the first place? Like, why take this public relations hit? And it is undeniably a public relations hit. Because if there's one thing Americans say they – if there's one thing most Americans can't agree on, and there's very little these days, it's that you don't make things more complicated for veterans when they return home than they ought to be. Now, as a country, we don't always do the best job taking care of our veterans. But, like, we'd like to not obviously go out of our way to complicate their lives more than they ought to be. And yet the NCAA won't grant this guy a waiver to play? Like, can you can you come up with and please, if you can tell me any rational explanation for not saying you are granted to, you are granted a waiver to be on scholarship, to practice, to play. And if you don't mind, we'd like to build uh, commercials that double as propaganda around you, please. Isaiah Brock. Sounds to me like and again, you did the reporting, not I. So from the outside, here's my guess. They see the case. The NCAA is not stupid. The people on these committees know what's going on here with with the player. Um, they see everything involving it. They don't want to put themselves in a situation where they have to contradict this decision down the road. So they grant him basically everything except eligibility to play in a game because they see a certain academic baseline that Brock did not clear. Granted, it was five years ago, and the school that he came from should be taken into account, and the fact that he's served his country and he's succeeded in online courses, all of this should be taken into account, and I'm guessing that they did take it into account with the expectation that when they gave this ruling, Oakland would still have the ability to, to appeal, and because of your story, I know the Free Press, also Detroit Free Press had a story on this, Pretty much every single national sports outlet has aggregated the story. I mean, every single one. Uh, it was really the most talked about college story that I could tell uh, when you ran it on Wednesday thereafter. I would think Brock will be made eligible because of this, because the NCAA obviously sees that this is a bad look. But my guess. Yeah, let me come back and write the story that they've de- de- denied the waiver. Like them, watch like like yesterday was bad enough for the NCAA. You don't want right. to you don't want to go through that again. But I still like uh, to me that just it 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 uh, flies to the face of common sense. We're going to grant we're going to grant. I'm guessing that's why they did it. But I don't, they don't but like, have a situation like this again, GP. And if they clear this one, because every situation is different. Obviously, all these eligibility cases, no two are ever exactly the same, and so they don't want to 
do this, break their own protocol when they know that they've got the process in place for an appeal and for it to clear on appeal. That's what I'm guess. That's why I'm guessing they did it, Parrish. Yeah, I know it still looks bad, it's, but I'm guessing that's why they did it. It's ridiculous, and and it, I, I I don't feel uh, uncomfortable using the word stupid because if you know you're going to grant on a pill the waiver on appeal anyway, why go through all of this? Why make Why make Oakland and Isaiah and Greg Campy and uh, you know, Jeff Connie, the athletic director there. Why make them go through all of this? And so, um, and, and if they, if, if the precedent, I had some people say, well, you know, what kind of precedent would it set? It would set this precedent. If you, um, go out of high school, serve four years in the army, uh, go onto the battlefield, uh, earn countless honors and medals and awards, and then decide you want to come back to college and, can find a school to put you on scholarship and can show through 12 college course hours that you can do college level work. And if you're already a mentor on campus for the young other, for the younger student athletes and you're already tutoring, like he's actually tutoring teammates like that, like he's, he's not just doing his own work. He's helping others do theirs. Um, and you can, uh, you're so sharp and mature and together that uh, your athletic department makes you the student representative for the, the, the athletic department, if you do all of those things, then we'll grant you immediate eligibility. That's the precedent would set. it would set. And you know what? I'm fine with that precedent. I got no issue with that precedent. <laughs> I, most people don't. I mean, basically all – this just needs to – I hit television. I mean, I, I, I didn't see like I, I watch try and watch Van Pelt a couple nights a week. I don't know if he touched on it yet, but this seems very ripe for a one big thing segment from him. But once it gets to that level, because I know the NCAA is very aware of this and it's aware of the criticism it gets with these eligibility cases. And to be fair, there have been times I'm blanking on. There was a case, man, I think it was last year. You might have written on it. I might have. I can't remember. But there was like a, a blatantly like you have to clear this kid case. I cannot remember, but they did clear him. Um, so you get this frequently, and I, I expect that he will eventually be made eligible. And ultimately, it's just a really good story. I mean, to grow from six feet to six foot eight uh, after high school is bonkers. The one thing I do have a question on is if you're a war vet, you get your college paid for. So, I mean, the school has the option. They can give a scholarship to right. anyone. Um, so he wouldn't even necessarily even need to be on well, scholarship. Well, yeah, my, my explana- the explanation for that, uh, this was coming from Greg Campy, was um, he does have the GI Bill, and that obviously covers a lot, but it doesn't cover him quite the way that an athletic scholarship would. Like the ex- athletic scholarship is worth more than the GI Bill. I mean, we're talking about cost of attendance stipends, all these kinds of stuff, right? Um, yeah. So the, 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 the athletic scholarship is – worthwhile for him it, it benefits him in a very real way and he should have it but on a certain level it isn't i mean there's something wrong with that too i mean i agree really if you, if you serve our if you serve our country you should be given the best possible financial setup to attend college have it paid for like I, i'm sorry like or we could just, just start because, we could just start with proper medical uh, uh oh i know attention. i mean <laughs> Exactly, but that's you know you know so that you don't you don't so so that so that you don't commit suicide while waiting for a doctor's appointment, right? That you can that you might not can afford. Uh, Um, We'll see what goes with this. I mean, do we have an idea on? uh, Is it uh? Do they have thirty days, sixty days to appeal? Do we know what the next step is here? Yeah, they will appeal uh, formally. I don't think they've formally appealed yet. Like submitted the paperwork and the documents, and 
you know, when I talked to the athletic director there, he said, we just have to do a better job, I guess. And this, I think this was his nice way of saying it. What he actually said was, we just have to do a better job of, 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 of making them understand or getting them to understand, like, this is a special, special guy. Like, he has already um, made an incredible impact on our campus. And, he, you know, everybody loves him. And even when I talked to him, uh, you know, over the weekend, it, like, he, he's – like, I, I, I never seen this high school transcript. I don't need to. Like, I was talking to a smart guy. I was talking to a sharp guy. I was talking to a mature guy. Like, he's the type of person you'd want on any college campus in America, best I can tell. And, you know, the athletic director was just like, we, we just have to, you know, get the NCAA to understand, like, this ain't, this ain't the one. Like, the, nobody benefits from, from making this, this young person wait to play college basketball because even if you would give him a you know a fifth year later on the back end he doesn't want that he's not going to the nba he he wants to get his degree and be in psychology and be a counselor he doesn't want to spend an extra year on a college campus he's already a 22 year old freshman because of the time he spent uh in the army and so you know he he basically said we just have to do a better job of of making them understand exactly who isaiah brock is exactly why it is um shameful to, to, to put any hurdle in his way, uh, to, to make him spend a year proving to you that he can do something, uh, you know, college-level work, that he's already proved, proven he can do. And so he was, he, you know, the, the athletic director said in a very nice way, what he actually meant, I think, is uh, this is insane. We'll just make the case again. We'll make it, uh, you know, more thoughtfully, hopefully, and surely common sense will prevail. And, and I do think that's probably the case. Uh, they're hopeful that they'll have a decision before the season actually gets started. That's a little over – get started. That's a little over a month away. But I, I just don't understand how any sensible human being um, could – because that's what – we always talk about the NCAA, the big bad NCAA. I, I just don't understand. It's really people. You know, the, a person is going to make this decision. And I can't imagine that, that there's any sensible person in that building in Indianapolis who's going to read my story – um, listen to uh, the impact Isaiah's already had on that campus, in that locker room, in that athletic department, uh, combine it with what he's done for our country and say, nope, we're still going to make you ineligible. I just can't envision that happening. So I would bet uh, a lot of money that, yes, he will be granted the waiver, um, at which point we'll all say, why didn't you just do this to, in the first place? And we could have all just avoided the nastiness and just told a really nice story and left out all the other stuff about the NCAA uh, really screwing up. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to ask you about a story you did earlier in the week uh, about John Calipari. He's the Kentucky basketball coach, of course, and he floated an, he floated an interesting idea um, when asked, you know, what, what's your, your next uh, plan for Kentucky or college basketball in general? Uh, what did you make of his idea to have August basketball? Right. So someone asked uh, Calipari at a luncheon, you know, if you were commissioner of college basketball, it's kind of you know, a simple setup question. What would you do? And I actually do like this idea. Uh, so basically he said, you know, everyone loves spring football, right? Co college football fans absolutely love spring football, obviously. And he said, why can't we have a similar setup in basketball where we play in August? So, the deal right now is that teams are allowed once every four years to take a foreign trip. I think it's actually pretty awesome uh, for teams that get to do this. I mean, honestly, to get trips to 
to Italy and Europe. Some teams obviously don't have those budgets, but they still can afford to go to Canada. You have teams, Xavier went to Rio de Janeiro last summer. Uh, George Washington went to Japan. Some go to Australia. So you can go anywhere, play these exhibition games against pro teams. And it's really, it's as much about the trip or anything. But the also thing is you get 10 days to practice in August. And if you'll talk to any coaches, they always love those trips because specifically they get 10 days to legitimately run practices, not one-on-one individual workouts and stuff like that, actual practices like you run during the season. So Calipari says, why can't we simply have a 10-day period in August every single year and you would have teams that wanted to play local scrimmages? You could do that or you could bring in foreign teams that wanted to travel and play. So Kentucky in theory could welcome in, you know, Puerto Rico's national team to come play if they wanted or something like that. Clearly, this would obviously benefit Kentucky among, you know, power five schools and really the top of the food chain would benefit the most from this. But I also think it's actually a really good idea. I kind of I added on to Calipari's idea because one, you would keep the foreign trip. So once every four years, you'd you'd still go. And then the other three years, in my opinion, the calendar doesn't work for everyone at the same time. So you should be able to, like you do with recruiting, have kind of two different windows if you wanted, uh, where you could run a 10 day practice. And then, cause I don't like what college basketball has done and tweaking its calendar now where you can start your first practice 40 days out before your first game, but you're still limited to the number of practice days. I think it's better to have college basketball start on October 15th. Like it did for so many years, you kind of get a nationwide one day midnight madness kind of event. Maybe that comes back into a, a little more style. There's a little like true bump to all of that. And everyone starts on the same day and you get a little, you know, pre preseason action with August. I actually think it's a good idea. Will it be implemented? Calipari himself said, listen, because this is my idea, don't expect this to ever happen. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that it can't happen. I mean, the NCAA is willing and its member schools are willing to take looks at the sport every single year, make adjustments where needed I think it would work and would be a good idea. And yes, it could actually give a bump. His other argument is like nothing happens in August, and he's right. Nothing really happens. It's a you can't do in-home visits and all that stuff with recruiting. So it is relatively slow on the sports calendar as well. We're just getting into preseason football, so there is a little bit of a window there. I think he's got a case. Do you like the idea, GP? I don't mind it. I mean, I, I think you've got some logistical problems. One obvious one being that not all you know, like not a, not all schools are in in semester or quarters or whatever, like in August, you know, some don't start till after Labor Day. Right. right. You know, so like you like it, everybody doesn't start school at the same time. So that that could be an issue. But I'm certain uh, uh, somebody could come up with a way to, to work around that. I don't mind it. Like why? And it's, it's you know, John always has like he never stops thinking like he's always got Ever. these. You know, I, I you know, I, I know he used to make his assistant coaches not make perhaps that's the wrong word, but like he'd get. It probably was make um, like he lived when he lived here in Memphis uh, right on a golf course. And uh, he would just he wouldn't play golf, but he would walk through the golf course like early every morning or late at night. And he'd have like assistant coaches with him. And it would just be walking and brainstorming, walking and thinking, walking and coming up with, you know, out of the box ideas. And this is you know, I did a radio show in, in Kentucky over last weekend. And they said, "What do you think John's next idea is going to be? Big like he, you know, he comes up with the combines. He, you know, comes up with whatever." And I said, "I don't have any idea, but I, he, there will be one because he's always thinking." And this is another example uh, of that. Um, 
I, why, why, if you have spring football, can't you have the equivalent for college basketball? I think that's a perfectly reasonable question, whether it comes from John Calipari or John Wooden. Um, you know, uh, the other thing it brings up, or at least the other sort of conversation that uh, came about after this story was published was, uh, you know, should college basketball, and it's not a new question, but should college basketball be a one-semester sport? Started after Christmas. Started in January. What Have you ever got on board with that idea i really go back and forth on it i think because... it would be i think it would be great and i don't care about well what would it mean for march madness we just have may madness not a big deal people watch. yes yes and no gp because i do think I, I agree i think the tournament is so big that it would still have a huge impact no matter what but the fact of the matter is you would be going up against the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the NFL draft you are inherently going up against more things there uh, and plus basketball, listen, the only, and another reason, I don't know if this is legit or not, but literally everywhere else in the country, basketball is a winter sport. So the only place that it wouldn't be a winter sport is at the college level, D1 presumably, because I doubt D2 and D3 would make this kind of change. I'm not opposed to it. I'm actually kind of open to all of it, but I do love the fact that March is just so clearly dominated by the sport because NFL is out, college football is out. That is right before the end of season push for the NBA, and so I like the placement there. But I'm I'm open and willing to a change. I don't think it'll ever happen. By the way, I I think that they'll they'll keep it where it is. But if it ever got to a point where we really had momentum to moving it and wanting to bump it up, I don't think it'd be necessarily terrible. I also think that the start of the season would get just as overlooked because you're then hitting into the prime climax of football season as it is so i don't know i mean there are positives and negatives to it but really you know when you talk about the climax of football season you're talking about nfl playoffs i presume and you know it's, it's that's just saturday and sunday you know i mean you know it's it's just yeah but i mean you can make that argument now gp because college football would still have the bowls and that stuff is just saturday and sunday and college basketball still gets overshadowed to a certain degree no they no they don't it's not the bowls aren't just saturday and sunday the bowls are all week every day no, but exactly. So that's why it would be even a bigger deal. Right now, college football is just Saturday and Sunday in November when college basketball starts, and people argue that it's overshadowed. But the bowls, the bowls would be mostly in December, you know, before you even get started playing. The bowls would be over, basically. College football playoff wouldn't be. But most, yeah, but you'd have to start the season. You still have to start the season in December. If you started the season in January, then you're really going into May, and you then could, you're, you know, I mean, you don't so have to start. Like, well, you don't have to start in December. Why would you have to start in December? Okay, so you start in January after. I mean, if you're going to have the same amount of games, you're yeah, you're going to go to the end of. You're going to really go to the end of May. I mean, it's. I, I can't see it happening, but yeah. Oh, this I mean, isn't this isn't like my uh, uh, mission in life is to convince people that we should push college basketball start back to uh, January. Like I don't feel that strongly about it, but I, I I do feel that strongly about the arguments against it. In other words, like. Well, you know, like uh, we'd lose March Madness, we it'd be fine. I, my, my my fundamental belief about sports is this: um, if you have compelling uh, compelling events, uh, you can put them on basically at any time, and people will watch them. Um, like if if for whatever reason they moved the Masters to July, we'd still all spend our Sunday in July watching the Masters. You know, if for whatever reason we started playing the Super Bowl in March. We'd all still gather around on Sunday and go to a Super Bowl party in March, and I suspect the NCAA tournament is the exact same thing, uh, same way. 
you can that Thursday, Friday of of the opening week of the NCAA tournament, you can play it in March, you can play it in April, you can play it in May, you can play it in June, July, August. That I don't care when you play it. People are going to be all in, filling out brackets and watching it. So I'm just I'm not as hung up on. I, I think history shows like we always think we can't tinker with something or change something because it'll affect what we all like well you can't have a wild card because what would that mean for baseball well you can't have two wild cards what would that mean for baseball uh we're fine how you, hold, how you holding up man that was rough last how you night. Up? that was rough yeah, man man bumgarner's just something it was lose lose for cubs because the mets killed him this year the cubs my cubs so i wasn't no, about you, that. you wanted that you, want, you wanted the mets because they go know, they'd in, have, they'd in have, theory they'd have to go bartolo Colon game one like seth lugo game two Robert Gazelle, like two, like two of their starting pitchers for the playoffs would have been rookies who aren't even like rookies like like Syndergaard or Mats was a rookie last year. They would be rookies that were like in AAA and only got caught up and put into this position because of injury. So you would have had a depleted staff, probably only have to face Syndergaard once. You that's what you wanted. Um, but I mean, what I mean, Jesus, when Syndergaard goes seven scoreless, you ought to be okay. Except Bumgarner was even but, better. You just you can't go up against Bumgarner. It's his ERA is ridiculous. Um, hey, real quick, I know we got to wrap up here. Uh, for listeners, uh, Friday we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Friday, the NCAA will announce its replacement site for Greensboro. Um, I believe that they will go South Carolina. Would love to see Palestra. I just don't think that'll happen. GP, I know you were pushing for South Carolina. I, I think maybe that, they won't I, go there. I think it's already been reported. Like the Palestra is just a non-starter. Like just can't do yeah, it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Katz reported some stuff on that, but I got contradicting information to that. But yes, I, I think that it's 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 not going to happen. Um, and then just a shout out to all. Uh, shout out to Devin Downey, of course. Of course but a shout, shout out, out to, to all Downey. our listeners. A shout out to our listeners in Florida. Stay safe. Our uh, CBSSports.com's headquarters are actually in the path of the storm. So so, um, th- so if this hope- podcast doesn't get posted for like three days, you'll know why. <laughs> Yeah. So, but seriously, like, hopefully everyone is out of harm's way there. Our bosses, colleagues included, and all the listeners, because hurricanes are no joke. I feel like actually GP like twice a year at least between if I'm hit, you know, hit with a blizzard, you're hit with an ice storm or like major flooding or tornadoes, and now that like some weather disasters appear to be uh, an issue on this podcast uh, somewhat frequently. But uh, but hurricanes are no joke. And this one's named after me, so uh, you know it's you know it means business. But seriously, hopefully everything down there, um, you know, it's not just catastrophic damage because, I mean, hurricanes are really the worst of the worst. So hopefully everything goes okay, and uh, and all of our colleagues down there are are safe and sound, and you know, not too too much damage. But this obviously looks like uh, one of the bigger ones in a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, stay safe, and uh, and and that that often means like don't be stubborn. Like if it's time to leave your home for a little while, like maybe you just should leave your home for a little while. One of our editors, Marcus, I know, took his family. Uh, Marcus Nelson took his family to Orlando, basically, just like we're not going to chance it. We're going to get out of here. He was he was in the evacuation area. He just they, they just got out. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, hopefully everything's those, okay. Because those are the worst stories. Yeah. Those are the those are the worst stories when like they tell you get out and you're like, you know what, we'll ride it out, and then you end up dead because you tried to ride out something that you shouldn't have. So like, don't don't die that way. So, that's so so dark, so macabre. Yet, yes, very true. Just when they say get out, get out, and um, I guess we'll see what happens here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. So go do that. It's the best way to 
Uh, get your hands on the latest episodes as quickly as possible. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you are, in all seriousness, in the path of that hurricane, be safe. Uh, and we're going to talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.